Morning, folks. My name is Phil. I'm the assistant pastor at Maudlin Road Church, and it's my um, privilege to open up Exodus 19 to us this morning. So why don't I pray before we do so? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible passage, the, the huge things that it teaches us. And we just pray, would you give us ears to hear, ears to heed your voice, Lord, and hearts that willingly obey, hearts to understand, hearts to see the glory of your purposes. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are a follower of Jesus, I wonder what I want to start by asking, when was the last time you really felt the privilege of belonging to God? When was the last time you felt the privilege of being able to draw near to him, to know him on intimate terms as one who speaks to you and allows you to relate to him as a merciful father? Perhaps these are things you've not felt much during the last 15 months. Perhaps any sense of belonging or intimacy has grown cold. As you've been separated from church gatherings and from the individuals who encourage you week by week to, to come to God, to see his goodness. I guess for some of us, the last time we were deeply moved by the privilege of belonging to God might have been some years ago. Well, wherever you find yourself this morning, Exodus 19 helps us to see afresh the immense honour and privilege of belonging to the holy creator of the universe. It also reminds us of the great but beautiful responsibility that comes with that holy calling. A responsibility that we should cherish. Now I confess I've really struggled to write this sermon because this passage is still so foundational to our identity and our calling as God's people today, whether we come from a Jewish background or not. I've struggled to know how to do justice to all that is in this chapter. And to be honest, I can't, not in 25 minutes. So please forgive me because I'm, I'm not going to say anything about verses nine to 25 in this sermon. I would massively encourage you to reread them after the service. I'd really encourage you to reflect on how we also ought to encounter the sight Israel did at Sinai on trying to approach a holy God but then I would also encourage you to read Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 24, and see the even greater privilege that we have through Jesus today, through our greater mediator. So that's Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 24. Go away and have a read. And what I'll do is I'll pick up on Exodus 19 on verses 9 to 25 in the reflection at the start of our prayer meeting, um, our monthly prayer meeting this Tuesday instead. And I'll see if we can record that so it's available on the website. So 
with that said, let's dig in. And here is my first point. God's people have a great privilege. God's people have a great privilege. When Yahweh rescued Israel from cruel slavery in Egypt, he did something quite spectacular and wonderfully kind. But Israel's newfound freedom was not an end in itself. God didn't rescue them just so they could go off and do their own thing. He had much greater purposes for them. Look with me again at verses four to six. You yourselves, says God, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Yahweh brought Israel to himself. And he did it to give them a hugely privileged position as his treasured possession. All nations belong to Yahweh, whether they know it or like it or not, because he alone made them and all the universe besides out of nothing. We owe everything to him. But the Lord chose this people, Israel, to be his treasured possession. A bit like what the crown jewels are to the queen or what a family heirloom might be like to you or me, a, a precious necklace or a much loved painting or some fine bone china dinnerware that you only get out on special occasions. Israel was to be the object of God's special delight. Not because of anything they'd done but simply because God had sworn on oath to Abraham, their ancestor, that he would love them and that through them he would set about reversing all the miserable, alienating and destructive effects of human sin on this fallen world. Can you see what an enormous privilege this is? It would be less outrageously gracious if the queen adopted an orphaned, homeless boy into the royal family and made him her favourite son and heir to the throne just because she decided to take pity on him. Israel had a great privilege. They were called to be God's treasured possession. But that's not all. Can you see in verse six, they were also called to be a kingdom of priests. This was a great privilege, too. And why? Because in the ancient world, and no less Israel, priests were the ones who got to draw especially near to the gods as representatives for the people. Israel was meant to do this as a nation. They were meant to display the privilege of drawing near the one true God in intimate relationship 
for all the world to see. They were meant to represent the nations to God in prayer. And they were meant to teach the world God's good and just laws. I couldn't think of a close analogy for this kind of priesthood in modern British society. But perhaps it's a little like how, in theory at least, our elected government represents the people's wishes to the Queen. And the Prime Minister actually gets to meet with her and come into her presence every week, I think on Wednesdays. And in turn, the government represents the Queen's will to the people, sort of. Israel um, was meant to do this as a nation. They were meant to be a kingdom of priests, coming to God and mediating on behalf of the world. And this overlaps with their calling as a holy nation. Holy basically means set apart. And Israel was meant to be set apart from other nations, different to the other nations. Instead of doing the same things as them, worshipping the same false gods, being governed by the same corrupt rulers and following the same wicked moral practices like incest and adultery and child sacrifice, they were meant to be distinct. They were meant to be like their perfectly just and righteous king, Yahweh. They were meant to be following his just and righteous laws. And as a result, they were meant to be a happy, harmonious, upright and prosperous people. Like a rose among thorns or a diamond among pebbles, they were meant to stand out and they were meant to draw the other nations in by their beauty. Then other nations would bless them. They would come in with reverence and humility to learn from this holy and happy nation. And so the other nations would be blessed too, coming to know Israel's God for themselves, coming to worship and getting to learn and live by his good and just laws. In short, Israel would fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham Way back in Genesis 12, verses 2 to 3. Go and have a look at that later, Genesis 12. Let me give you an illustration of how this is meant to work. I wonder if when you were a kid, if you ever envied the home and family life of one of your friends. I bet even if we had great parents, there were times when most of us thought that life would be better in a friend's family. Perhaps we thought their parents served up nicer food or bought better toys and gadgets or were less strict or more patient and caring or more creative and fun. Perhaps you thought your friend was privileged to live in that house under those parents. Life was better with them and you wanted to be part of it. Well, that's a bit like how it was meant to be with Israel. The world was meant to look at Israel and see how privileged they were to live with this God, drawing near to him and living by his good laws. And the nations were meant to come swarming to their light, like moths around a candle at night. Verses 
Do you see the beauty of God's purposes here? Doesn't the world long for intimacy with one who truly knows us and yet loves us? Don't we long for the kind of happy, harmonious, prosperous and just society that God was seeking to build for his glory? I'm sure I'm not the only person whose heart sinks every time yet another government minister acts with double standards or every time yet more sad statistics of poverty, underachievement or racial disparity are released. Or every time I see in myself that same old callousness that just doesn't care so much about other people's needs, so long as I've got what I want. Do you see what a privilege it was for God to call Israel as the start of something different, something new, something better? God gave Israel a great privilege. And I will come on to how this links with Christians today in a few moments. But first, did you also notice something very else, something else really important at the start of verse five? It's one word, if. Israel's privileged status was conditional upon their obedience. They would only fulfill their calling as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, if they obeyed God's voice and kept his covenant. That's the covenant he made with Abraham centuries before and was about to renew and expand at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments as the basis. The nations would only see the beauty of intimate relationship with God and the beauty of true holiness if Israel obeyed and walked in that holiness and got to stay in God's presence. And that brings me to my second point. God's people have a great responsibility. God's people have a great responsibility. Israel's calling was a great privilege but it was also a great responsibility because they would only fulfill their calling if they obeyed. If Israel lapsed into worshiping the same false gods as the nations around them, how would the world see the blessings of intimacy with Yahweh? If Israel dishonored, say, God's gift of marriage by engaging in adultery and incest and prostitution like the nations around them, how would the nations ever see the true beauty of loving, faithful commitment and family life as God intended. If Israel never kept the Sabbath, for example, but worked incessantly seven days a week, how would the nations ever learn to trust that true rest is found only in Yahweh's presence as the one who graciously provides all our needs? If Israel had a great privilege, but with it went a great responsibility, if they failed, as they sadly did at many times, Yahweh's name would not be worshipped among the nations. It would be blasphemed and scorned and mocked. And this is where I want to turn to us. Because in some key ways, 
taking these two things together, great privilege and great responsibility, the church now is the same as Israel then. Firstly, and amazingly, we do have this same great privilege. Come to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9 with me. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter writes to all, whether Jew or Gentile, all who have been born again into God's holy people, the spiritual Israel through faith in Jesus. And he says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Each of us who trusts in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour this morning is part of God's royal priesthood. That's another way of saying kingdom of priests. We are part of his holy nation. And we are his special possession. Peter's way of saying treasured possession. What we, sorry, we are what Israel was called to be. And did you notice a difference between what Peter says and Exodus 19 verse 5? In, in two, uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, there is no if. Amazingly, we already have this privileged status in full, in Christ. We are treasured by God, holy in his sight and free to enter his presence by the Holy Spirit. And why? Because Jesus has fully obeyed God and kept his covenants. Jesus did perfectly what God commands here in Exodus 19. And what Israel sadly failed to do in full. And so, as Paul says in Galatians 3 and verse 27, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. It's like the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus have been wrapped around us like some beautiful royal robe, hiding all the ugliness of our sin. So when God looks at us, he sees the faithful obedience of his beloved son and he treasures us just the same. Isn't that amazing? When was the last time you thought of yourself and your brothers and sisters in Christ as God's special treasured possession? Because that's what you are. You are treasured by him, not because of anything you've done, but because of Christ. And therefore, you could not be more secure. So in Christ, we already have Israel's privileged status in full. But we also have the same great responsibility to live out our status day by day in obedience to our saviour. The physical reality of our lives should match the spiritual reality. That is the way that that is to say the world, what the world sees in us should increasingly match the way God sees us. And this is because 
like Israel, God didn't make us into a kingdom of priests and a holy nation simply so we could feel good about ourselves. He's done it so that we will display and proclaim the privilege of intimacy with God and the blessings of living under his good and just rule to the dark and groaning world around us. God has done it so the nations will be drawn to our light as we go out and live among them in holiness as ambassadors for Christ. That has not changed since Exodus 19. So obedience matters just as much for us as it did for Israel. And that's just to stress, that's not because we have to earn our salvation. We can't earn it any more than Israel could as a helpless, unimpressive and stiff-necked nation of slaves, as God calls them in Deuteronomy 9. No. Obedience matters because without it, we cannot fulfill our calling as a light to the nations. Of course, there are many other great reasons for obedience in scripture. But here in Exodus 19, our responsibility, our responsibility to fulfill our calling is particularly key. Without obedience, we will just look the same as the people around us, and they will continue to ignore God, or worse, to pour scorn on his name, the name of Jesus. I'm sure you can appreciate the importance of this from a few contemporary examples. Just think about the abuse scandals that have broken out in the church over the last two decades. The paedophile priests, the bullying pastors and the racist vicars. Think of the endless stream of people who dismiss Christianity because we appear such a bunch of hypocrites. And think of the number of friends or neighbours or colleagues who have never asked us about the hope we have in Jesus, at least in part because it's not always obvious that we do actually have a hope that's different to theirs. Sometimes Christians look too much like we're living for exactly the same things. A comfortable home, fancy holidays, a well-paid job, the respect of our peers, pleasure now, experiences now. I think there's no heaven. I'm not laboring this point in vain because I think that we don't take obedience seriously at MRC. I've, I've seen a widespread and earnest desire to pursue holiness during my ten, year, 10 months here. And that is wonderful. I'm really thankful for that. And it is as it should be. But if you're anything like me, you probably feel really weary after the relentless grind of keeping going spiritually through the stressful and ever-changing circumstances of this last year and a bit. Perhaps you find the pandemic has ground you down. Perhaps the pandemic has actually intensified certain struggles with sin as the routines and the support systems that you relied on to help you with godliness have been taken away and you're left craving intimacy or comfort or security. 
And in those circumstances, it becomes easy to let our guards down, looking for intimacy and comfort and security in places God says we shouldn't, looking for them apart from God. It becomes easy to lose our tempers with our housemates or family. It becomes easy to excuse sin, blaming it on our circumstances, or treating God's grace as a license for sin. And it becomes easy to ignore the sins of injustice in the wider world. Perhaps you feel much more aware as Paul says in Galatians 5, that there is a very real battle going on between the flesh, our sinful human natures, and the Holy Spirit. That battle is going on in your hearts. And I just want to encourage you not to give up the fight. We have such a privileged calling. We are so treasured by God, despite our sin. And the world really does notice when we live differently as a result, especially those who share our lives most closely with us, like our housemates or our children. And perhaps most importantly, we have something that Israel on the whole did not have. We have the Holy Spirit to empower our obedience. We have the very presence of the infinite and almighty God living in our hearts to change our desires, to help us to obey. Now, there will be more on the specifics of what obedience looks like next week as we come to the Ten Commandments. But if you're really struggling with obedience in a particular way at the moment, why not have a read of Galatians 5 to 6 during this week? See how the Spirit empowers us to live more pure and beautiful lives. And please don't give up the fight. We have a great privilege and a great responsibility as God's people. That may seem daunting, even burdensome right now. But isn't it worth fighting to live out that calling in our lives? Wouldn't it be so beautiful if, right here in Oxford, we fulfilled even more what Peter exhorts us to in 1 Peter 2 verse 12? Wouldn't it be a glorious witness if we lived such good lives among the hundreds of thousands of people around us who don't believe? Such good lives that many, many more of them saw our good deeds and glorified God, even though they accuse us of doing or believing things that are wrong. Wouldn't that be amazing? We have a great calling. We have a great privilege. And with it goes a great responsibility. It is a wonderful responsibility, offering light to a dark world. So why don't we ask for God's help to fulfill that now? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, it's so hard for us sometimes to, to grasp the, the hugeness, the awesomeness of the calling that you have given us, of the privileged position that you have given your people as your treasured possession. Lord, please help us. Help us to feel the weight and the wonder of that more. You delight in us in such an extraordinary way. And ultimately because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. And Heavenly Father, please would you forgive us that so often the, the church fails as terribly as Israel did. That the sins of the church in centuries past and indeed now lead other people to pour scorn, to blaspheme your name. Lord, forgive us that we have not fulfilled our calling as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation as we ought to. Lord, we, we often despair when we see the darkness in our own hearts that is the same as the darkness in the world around us. Would you please empower us all the more by your spirit with a zeal to pursue holiness, to obey your commands. Lord, so that the world will see something beautiful. Would we cherish our responsibility, our calling as a holy nation and the kingdom of priests? And please, Father, would you glorify your name in this city through our deeds, through our witness, that many would then glorify you. And we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.